But at the same time, the more choices we give them, here's where the paradox comes into play, the less likely they are to pick anything. <laughs> and five is the maximum our brain can handle. Anything above five, whatever that is, five metrics on a dashboard, five options in front of them, five choices to make, the brain loses the ability to tell the difference between them and therefore it does nothing with any of them. This is Growth in Dentistry, a dental intelligence podcast where we ask the question, what does growth in dentistry look like to you? I'm Katie Polson, a dental hygienist and your host. Welcome to another episode of Growth in Dentistry. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, like always, I'd love to invite you to join our Facebook dental intelligence community and come talk about data with us. It's super fun. And if you weren't nerdy enough, being a dental person, you can come be a dental data person. So um, rate and review this podcast, if you would, please. We read everyone. And I'd love to introduce again my trusty co-host, Curtis Marshall. So glad to have you with me today. Thanks for and having he's me. He's going to introduce our esteemed esteemed guest, uh, Dr. I haven't heard that before. Yes, Dr. Ah, Dr. That's Dr. Christopher Phelps. You're our first esteemed, Dr. Phelps. <laughs> It's better than most of the names I've been called. So <laughs> Awesome. So uh, Dr. Phelps, if you haven't heard his name yet, well, get ready. Strap up, put your seatbelt on if it's not on already. Uh, really, this guy, he's he is a dentist. Yes. Two days a week, he's a dentist. But he's really, as mentioned, he mentioned to me earlier, he's an entrepreneur that happens to be a dentist. And the fruits show it. Uh, if you look at him, I mean, in 2016, he launched Golden Goose Scheduling. Uh, now, it's premier patient uh, scheduling for both Canada and the United States. He also has a direct membership club, which is an online software tool to help dentists with uh, take care of in-house insurance. Is it in-house insurance? In-house membership. Membership. Memberships. Mm-hmm. I knew there's some... Yep. different verbiage there. Yep. And then at the same time, he's also helps office coach uh, consulting as well. Uh, and don't forget, he also coaches, uh, is a dentist two days, at least two days yeah. a week. So yeah. with, I don't know how, what else to say other than I'm so glad you're here, Dr. Phelps. Yeah. Well, he got to do all those things because he's so successful at being a dentist. Like most people, like it's really, it's so great that you're here. I learned so much for him at the round table that we did. And I was like, yep, Okay. Yeah, we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Go check it out. Yeah, 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 it was really good. So with our with um again, welcome. Hi. You can say hi to the folks. <laughs> um with your background in persuasion and marketing and communications, all the things that are really near and dear to my heart. I I just would love for people to be our audience to be able to hear more about you. Oh, we should also, by the way, and I will say this at the end, but if you haven't, if you haven't checked out um, his podcast, you should go do that. It, it really is great. Um, so what do that the, as well. What's the name of your podcast, Dr. Phelps? It's called a uh, dental slang. Yeah. Dental slang. slang. Um, it's really clever. I actually, t- earlier today, we, we interviewed Dr. Paul Goodman. And I listened to your episode with him and I, and they, they talk about like dental slang and he had some really great ones on there. So um, if I could recommend any episode, I would start with that one. It's, it's really good. But that being said, um, we, I, you're so good at marketing and persuasion communication that as, as I was thinking about how we could talk about case acceptance Mm -hmm. um, between back office and front office. And cause you don't treat them the same typically, uh, I th- immediately thought of you and like how, how you would manage that, how you would treat that differently and what you would talk about. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, first, the first part is we're going to talk about the back office. So 
What do you think are the primary downfalls for poor case acceptance in the back office with hygienists and dentists and assistants is kind of what I mean when I say back office. I think that's self-explanatory, but just in case it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So I just describe a clinical team versus front desk team. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. Team. Um, well, you know, what's funny is, you know, I appreciate you saying that I'm good at these things and marketing <laughs> and persuasion stuff. And the truth is, it's because I, I come from the school of hard knocks, <laughs> you know, and uh, they say mother uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And so I had to become experts in these things because my practices were struggling with them, the same that everybody else's practices were. But uh, my personality type is that I'm like a dog with a bone, right? If I get my jaws around it, I, you know, whatever problem that is, I can't shake it until I really solve the problem and really figure it out. So, uh, you know, necessity and, and marketing of my two practices at the time, I'd sold my two best ones and took over my two worst ones. I was spending 36000 a month in marketing to get 60 patients. People weren't coming back for treatment, right? And so I had all these little fires going on and I knew that there was something at the root cause. And so... You know, they also say, uh, you know, when the student is ready, the master will appear. And that was at a critical time for me when I first heard Dr. Robert Cialdini speak on his six principles of influence and persuasion. And they really resonated with me because when I had heard people talk about case acceptance or trying to close more cases with patients in the past, they always try to take it from an empathy and a sympathy point of view. If you can create the sympathy in that patient or the empathy in them uh, to make a connection with them, well, of course, if you can deal with emotions and bring that to the service, people buy, right? People say yes. My challenge has always been, you know, they actually, Henry Schein one time came by the office and did a empathy sympathy test, uh, assessment test for everybody at the office. No, we and, did that too. Uh, yeah, I was shocked and not shocked to find I was a one out of 10 in both categories. Oh! <laughs> 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 Trying to take someone like me who is has no empathy or sympathy for most things, right? It's And and teach that to me and use that as my, my, my tools to close cases just wasn't going to work. And it's why I struggled up until that point. But when I heard Dr. Robert Cialdini speak and this behavioral science research stuff, to me, that's a more logical approach in human behavior and study after study that really gets to the heart of why people do what they do. Like, what are they really using? Not the excuse they tell us afterwards, but the stuff they're really using and influenced by in the moments leading up to and the moment they actually make their decision. And I thought, wow, yes, this guy is the authority, right? This guy's the expert. I, I got to, I can learn this. I can do something with that because if it was proven in a study, then I should be able to apply it in practice, right? In my practice and get a similar result. And I was fortunate to be able to, the Dr. Cialdini took me under his wing and I'm, you know, I'm a certified trainer in his method of influence. That's what the CMCT designation of my name means. But I went back and I used his principles and the research that he taught me back in my two practices and used them as my laboratory, if you will. Uh, you know, insert maniacal laugh here. Especially Halloween. So to, to experiment and basically you try to figure out systems or how to use these to tackle the challenges we had, such as case acceptance. And you're right, there's a big delineation between the, the problems that the front has versus the problems that the back has in the clinical team. So it sounds like you want to start with the back team, correct? Yeah. Yeah, clinical. Yeah, I like the way you said and, it better. And the way when you're starting with that too, it sounds like you're going to go down this route, but especially with persuasion, sales is persuasion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And how yeah. many times do we hear, hey, you, we need to sell dentistry and we get kickback from the clinical teams. Clinical like, I don't team, want to sell which dentistry. Is the back. Yeah. I don't yeah. sell, you know, I'm healthcare. Well, 
I'd it's love both. to to maybe include maybe you're going to. I, I'm just going to throw that yeah. Uh, yeah. thought as you start talking about the back office. Yeah. So to start us off, I got to start you with a story. Okay. That's I, I do love my stories. So <laughs> back, back in the eighties, there was a popular court case. It was the first case on court TV, right? The first nationally televised thing between two oil giants, right? Uh, a big dog, if you will, and an underdog. We'll call it Pennzoil versus Texaco, Texaco being the big dog. Okay. Well, Pennzoil, the underdog was suing them because they claimed that Texaco came onto their land, drilled on their land, struck oil and was making money off of it. Okay. And Texaco was like, no, actually that was our land. So therefore anything we found on it was ours to keep. We don't owe you anything. So, so that was this battle. And it was this epic case. It took over six months just for the jury members to hear the testimony from both sides. So all the facts, all the what? I'm so glad Everything. I didn't get that jury duty. Yeah. And so what was funny was because uh, it was on TV, the, the media was uh, watching this the whole time. And finally, legal experts from around the country could all pipe in and give their thoughts on what was going on. And they all came to the same consensus. They said, well, two things are certain. Number one is we're not going to get a decision from the jury because these people are just regular people. They're not experts in land rights and drilling and whatever. Okay, so if it took six months to, for them to see the evidence once, it'll take at least six months for them to come back with a with a uh, verdict. Right. And the second thing is, based on our opinion and the facts that were presented, we think Texaco is going to win. We actually think it was their land. Okay. well, it didn't take six months. The jury actually came back in two hours (laughs) and they actually sided for Pennzoil, the underdog, and awarded them a settlement of ten point five three billion dollars. Holy smokes. This is a real story. Oh, yeah. This happened in the 80s. And today it's still the largest U.S. settlement in court. Okay. 10.53 10.53 billion. Two days. So of course, everybody was shocked. So they go to the, the four person of the jury because uh, you can't talk to a jury member during the trial. But after the trial, if they want to talk to you, you can. And they asked them, they're like, dude, what's up? What, what did you use to make your decision? And the guy said, well, for us, you know, of course, we're not experts. So it came down to three things. He said, number one, the lead Texaco attorney. Yeah, that guy had a pompous attitude. And he was like, huh, okay. Yeah, the guy that was running that team, the VP, man, that guy had scornful manners. That was number two. Mm-hmm. Oh, scornful manners. Okay. And you said there was three things, right? Yeah. So waiting for some facts. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? The lead witness, the lead authority uh, for Texaco, yeah, that guy never looked us in the eye. They got $10 billion my, for that. Uh, my mind's going crazy yeah, right now. Crazy. I right? hear what you're saying. Let's keep right? this going. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. So it proves the simple point. Ultimately, the people in that jury were not experts in this matter, but they were asked to make a decision as if they were. Because they're not experts, they still need something to contrast and compare to make the decision. So they relied on the only thing they did understand. Do I like and trust this side more? Do I like and trust that side? Right. And they decided I like and trust Pennzoil more. Okay. And it won $10.53 billion. So I bring up that point because doctors listening to this and team members, whether you realize it or not, you are educating your patients. We call it sales. We call it education. Regardless, you think they're making a decision based on the evidence you're presenting, the facts. Okay. And the truth of the matter is because they are not real dental experts, they have no idea what you're really talking about. But they are using something to make their decisions. And that's where we bungle these opportunities, okay? These small little things that add up to be uh, a big deal, right? That can Wait. either set the stage for yes or no. 
Chris, are you telling me that patients don't understand what a cap is? <laughs> right. A crown, right? PFM. Well, that's what they call a cap. A cap yeah. Right. Yeah. They don't know what an implant is. I mean, again, unless they, how many times have we talked about them needing a root canal and they think they were extracting their tooth? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, exactly. No, well, no, the tooth stays yeah. in place. You know? I, I, I love <laughs> stories too. So here's a quick story along those same lines. A friend of mine is visiting. We went to the ACL concert uh, down in Austin. Is ACL? ALCALS, but he's down there and he had a a tooth that was hurting, right? He already had a root canal on it. He goes in and he doesn't know, right? But he called me up afterwards and said, this is what happened. I'm like, oh, he should have got it pulled and got put an implant in. But here's what happened. He went into the office. They tried to do a retreat, right? Then they said, oh, we can't do it. We now need to send you to the endodontist to do a retreat. Sent him to the endodontist to do a retreat. The endodontist went into the retreat and it needed to get pulled. So he needs to then send him to the orthopedic oral surgeon to get it pulled. And then he said, All right, now you need to get it put in by an implant by a periodontist. Periodontist. He didn't realize all of that that was going on. So he's super frustrated. Yet it could have all been taken care of if if he had one person that he trusted because each person he didn't trust. And yep. th- that just goes to your same yeah. point. Really? Maybe, maybe he still would have gone through all those steps, but if he had trusted the people that were working for him, it wouldn't have been, he wouldn't be so frustrated, but anyway. Yeah. To, and, yeah. You know, liking and trust are, are two of uh, Cialdini's six principles, you know, reciprocity. Most people have heard of that. Uh, mm-hmm. you, when you give a gift of value to someone else, this societal obligation is created in us that we feel obligated to give back. Okay. And give back in kind to what's been given to us uh, liking, right. Uh, you know, um, we like to do business with people we like, right? Who doesn't like to do business with their friends? I and mean, Dale Carnegie wrote a whole book on this whole principle, okay? Uh, but in essence, he's just maximizing the liking principle to its maximum effort, okay? Uh, so if it's a friend asking, of course we want to say yes. But if we don't know when we don't like you, well, then we're not likely to say yes to you, right? Uh, you've got social proof or what we used to call consensus. And that's really big right now because in times of uncertainty, we look to the evidence of what others are doing, saying, actions are being taken to show us what we should do okay and influence us so while we like to be unique individuals uh that are you know distinct from the crowd we still want to be unique individuals that are part of the crowd part of a group part of a community so we see the flock moving elsewhere that's going to influence us to want to do the same you've got authority and that's where the trust comes into play where we look to credible trustworthy experts to tell us what we should do because the truth is we just don't have time to be an expert in everything right so if the plumber comes to my house and says all right Phelps, you need a new toilet all right, I guess I need a new toilet because I don't know anything about plumbing. Okay. But in that moment, that person's an expert. They know more than I do and have more experience. And if I trust them, I'm going to say yes. Uh, you got consistency, which was a big one for me. This is the commitment principle. When people take a stand on an issue and they really commit to something, they more than likely are going to follow through and do what they said they were going to do. Okay. So people live up to the commitments that they make. And of course, everybody knows this one scarcity is probably the one that's been abused unethically against us the most. But true scarcity is about resources. If resources are dwindling or running out, suddenly we want it more and we'll do more to get it, even if we didn't want it to start with. Okay? Yeah, we've, we've so resources that. would be like, yeah, like if the oxygen. Right now, right, right now in general, yeah. like with everything. Toilet paper. Yeah, just in general. Yeah, paper. I mean, if yeah. ever, if it's, I think before just being in a marketing scarcity, scarcity was hard to describe to somebody now. And now we've gone through, we've gone through in the, in the past two years. It's really easy to understand. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So think of it this way. So if the oxygen was running out in the room you're in right now, 
wouldn't you prefer to know that before it runs out versus when it runs out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, if you know before it runs out, what's it going to motivate you to do? Yeah. Get the heck out of there and go find some oxygen, right? But the problem is our brain hasn't learned right. to differentiate. Yeah. Curtis I'm going ki- to kill off Curtis so I can have the oxygen. <laughs> the weaker link. I'm out. I'm <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Don't get, don't get in a plane crash with her, bud. I'm telling you. <laughs> but that's what we do, right? We don't want it so we can't have it. And then it motivates you to go do something about it. But our brain hasn't learned to tell the difference between real life and death resources versus toilet paper running out or, you know, the, the last piece of banana bread at Starbucks. And suddenly I want it more than I ever did before, mm-hmm. even though I know they probably got a whole closet of it. Right. But that's not what I see and perceive in that moment. So those six principles are what we're looking for, these triggers in the moments leading up to and the moment we make a decision. But having said that, there's really several key areas, like you mentioned, where the, the clinical team struggles and bungles these opportunities, these small things that make a big impact on yes or no. And probably the biggest one right off the get go uh, came from Dr. Cialdini's book a few years ago called Persuasion. So there's persuasion and then there's persuasion and influence. So persuasion and influence is when that person's in front of you directly, okay, in that moment. But persuasion is actually things you can do. You can back it up to get them in the right mindset that influences them to want to say yes to your request before they ever get in front of you. So they're already primed to say yes, okay? But the problem is this, whether you realize it or not, when your patient walks at the door of your clinical practice or you're talking to them for the first time as a sales team, right, to talk about software, they're coming in with a mindset already pre-established. And most of the time, that mindset is in direct competition with what you want to be talking about. Okay. Well, usually for our patients, their mindset are on the things that they want to spend their money on, right? Their family vacations, the Christmas is coming up and the presents and whatnot. Okay. That's, that's what our, we always talked about. You need to uh, convince them to do dentistry over the four wheeler, over the vacation, over the dance, over the, whatever it is for the family. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what it is. And again, when you think about it, it's a hard battle because here we come in and talk about dental needs and their mindset's on what they want to spend their money on. Mm-hmm. Which, who do you think typically wins in that battle? Okay. It's always want. Not us. <laughs> so, four wheeler. You know, yeah. So if we don't do anything to change that mindset from the get go, we've already dropped the ball. Okay. That's a big area where people struggle and they don't even realize it that the patient coming in already has something. And your mindset is just a measure of who you are in that moment you're making a decision. But believe it or not, it's actually affected by where you are in that moment. So the sights, the sounds, the smells, and the environment can shape your mindset. Your cognitive state, the, what's been your thoughts, they're dwindling, floating around your head. Are they positive? Are they negative? Are they whatever? Can affect your mindset. And your emotional state can actually affect your mindset as well. So again, not getting the people to realize that they're coming in with a mindset and we've done nothing to change that, to refocus their attention and get them to value their oral health. That's the critical mistake right there. Okay. And automatically the door to yes is shut because of that. And it's very hard to get us to open that door back up unless they have top of mind issues like pain. Mm-hmm. Obviously pain breaks right. through anything, right? Yeah. But outside of that, it's tough. Okay. So mindset's a big one. Uh, we talked about that relationship is key. Most doctors bungle this. They don't take the time and the team don't take the time to connect with people. Okay. Uh, That liking principle alone is probably the most overlooked principle in dentistry, but it's costing us millions because of that, because if they don't like you, they don't say yes. (laughs) It's as simple as that. So if we don't find some way to connect with them before we start ripping their lips open and saying, let's get to the heart of this thing, figure out what's going on again, another one of those things that sets the stage again. And if we flip that same, if we flip that same concept though, to the doctor individually, right? 
well, what's going to, yeah. what, what do I want more? I want to do dentistry more than talk to this person for 15 minutes, right? right. Yet yeah. talking for 15 minutes is going to get you to more dentistry. Yeah. Same yeah. thing with the patients. What do you want more teeth done or a, a four-wheeler? Well, I want a four-wheeler. Well, you can have funner on that four-wheeler and do more work if you get your dentistry done because you're not going to be in pain in the future. Yeah. Same concept, exactly. right? And the good news is like there's uh, all kinds of shortcuts to help doctors with this if this is not in their innate ability or natural talent to connect with people uh, from the get-go. You know, I spend two whole days talking about these principles and how these things apply for my persuasion course. But it's an idea of you just at least try to find one simple connection with them before you get down to the business at hand. Okay. And the cool thing is I've trained my team. They know everything about me. So they ask these questions on my behalf and they already find the connections for me. So again, I don't have to spend a lot of time on it. I could walk in and say, hey, Mr. Jones, I hear you got two kids. I got two kids. Talk about your two kids. Right. Connection made, story told. I share a story. All right. While you're here, we're done. Yeah. Let's move on. Okay. I love that. But again, even something simple like that is it goes a long way. So we, we got to take that time to build the relationship. Probably one of the big reasons I see doctors bungling case acceptance is this idea of uncertainty. Okay. If patients are unsure, if there's any kind of question or doubt in their mind, they don't say yes. Okay. People don't move when they're unsure or uncertain. And sometimes the uncertainty comes from the dentists ourselves, unfortunately. Maybe we're not confident in what we're presenting. I don't know, Mrs. Jones, you could do this, or I guess you could do that, or I guess you could do this one. What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And the patient's yeah. looking at you like, well, geez, doc, you're supposed to be the expert and you don't even know. Yeah. I think that because sometimes we assume that it's our responsibility and we take it an oath to give people all of their options. So that means that we are just, we kind of like word vomit all over them, all of their options. And then we just, you know, let it be. So I love that. I love that concept. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Schwartz wrote a book called uh, The Paradox of Choice, I and mean, it basically describes the brain's ability to differentiate options. And while we need a choice, number one, there always has to be two options, this or that, okay, to get a commitment, right? So we got to get out of telling people they need treatment and influencing them by giving them a choice. Do nothing, but here's what's going to happen, or you could do this. But at the same time, the more choices we give them, here's where the paradox comes into play, the less likely they are to pick anything, <laughs> And five is the maximum our brain can handle. Anything above five, whatever that is, five metrics on a dashboard, five options in front of them, five choices to make, the brain loses the ability to tell the difference between them and therefore it does nothing with any of them, okay? So we have to learn how to present the ethical options we're supposed to, but we got to funnel people down to one plan, one plan that they've committed to every step of the way by giving them those this or that choice every time we move. The better we get at that and getting them committed to one plan, now we got an option, okay? Not three or four treatment plans, because usually what docs will say, well, you could do this, uh, let's say it's a single missing tooth. You could do nothing. You could do this partial. You could do this bridge or you can do an implant. Let me get the financial team to come in and go over all those options with it, and you figure out what you want to do. Mm -hmm. So they've That's automatically exactly. now just told the patient the number one thing they need to choose, use to choose the it's decision, money. right? Yeah, yeah. Money. And they, and, yep. it's, all, it's all money. It's not yeah. what's best for you. Yeah, we've already tripped over ourselves, and it's our own fault, <laughs> okay? Versus identifying the options, getting the patient to commit to what they really want out of those choices by presenting it in a certain way. And once they've chosen a path, then the financial team can come in and go over that, okay? Yeah. But we'll talk about that when we get to the financial team yeah. stuff. Uh, so we got to get rid of this uncertainty. It's killing us. Yeah, okay? I, I love what you said there, and it reminded me of a way. So my brother does this when he presents 
treatment. And I learned it from him and it's super great, especially a really big plan. He sits down in front of them. He looks them in the eye and he says, there are two ways that we can, we, there are two ways that we treat people. We can preventatively treat it so that you're not in pain or you can wait until it hurts. Either of them are okay in our practice. What do you want to do? And from that information, then he decides, okay, this is what we're, because you said you don't ever want to be in pain. I would recommend, you know, X, Y, Z, right. Um, And I, it really, A, it builds trust. Like it's like, I think that what you're trying to do here and and that, and and they value his opinion because he's taking the time to really know like what, like, what do they think about it? Because me, people don't think about that. They don't think about, oh, I guess, I guess I would rather just wait till it hurts. You know, thank you for giving me that choice. I didn't know I had that. You know what I mean? So I, that just went along with what you're saying. And I, and I love, I love that advice because oftentimes we, we do, we just let, we just give the patient all the options and then we let them choose based off of how much they can afford. And that's not healthcare. Yeah. No, yeah. And nobody wins in that scenario. Not really. Right. Okay. Yeah. No one. What you're describing is exactly how we get them in the right mindset. So that's the first question on my new patient questionnaire. When it comes to oral health, do you prefer to be reactive meaning you're okay letting it go, even though it's going to cost you more time, money, and pain because you waited down the road? Or do you prefer to be proactive? You're somebody who doesn't want things to get worse and cause more time, money, and pain down the road. Yeah. I love, I love that you put so that on your new patient. Pro- yeah. That you put yeah. it on your new patient paperwork. So it's the very first thing. And I, I, I normally yes. don't do shameless plugs, but I will now just because typically I just don't because whether we talk about our product or not, I just want this to be great information, but with our Modento treatment plans, that's one of the things that you can do or, or new patient forms is you can customize it. So you can do something just like that, right. Or you can ask people right, right out of the gate. How do you, how do you like to be treated? Yeah. yeah I love and that. Now, and now you're not going to waste your time. Cause if I've got somebody who just straight up says, yeah, I'm reactive. Meaning if it ain't broke, I ain't going to fix it. Right. Mm-hmm. If it's not hurting today then there's no ethical obligation. There's no legal rule that says you have to force your treatment plan down their throat. Yeah. Okay? Yet most docs make the mistake of trying to yeah. <laughs> and push them away. Yeah. Instead for those people, you know, you just build a relationship. I say, Hey, look, I see decay. I see issues. I got to educate you that there is a problem. I'm going to document it all here. I do have a plan to fix it today, but it sounds like you don't want to hear it. So if you change your mind, you let me know. Think how much time that will save you if that's the way you treat it. Instead of yeah. spending so much time and you, you, you know, the patient knows they're not going to do anything about it, but you got to say it anyway. You know what I mean? It just saves you so much time. I love how passionate Katie gets. I, I love this topic. If you yeah. cannot tell. Well, yeah. Think about it. This is how you build a relationship with somebody who wasn't going to move because the next thing I'll say is, but when that time bomb does go off. Yes, now, I exactly. The clock, I just know it's going to blow. When it does, no judgment for me. You call us that day. I will get you in that day. That's my yeah. guarantee to you. Okay. And we live up to that. Doesn't mean I'll fix it today, but I'll diagnose it. I'll manage it. If I can't start it, I'll do something with it. But now they've known that I'm their friend, right? I'm not going to judge them. We both knew this day was coming and it's actually the easiest case acceptance ever. When they do come in down the road, it's like, well, Bill, we knew this day was coming. Yep. Yeah. Well, here's what we need. And here's what's going to cost you ready. It's something okay. that you could probably do over <laughs> teledentistry at the very beginning. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you've got the chart at home. You've got, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's great. I honestly is so good. I hope, I hope that if you aren't treating your patients this way in the back, that you will think about what Dr. Phelps has said today. 
um, because that really is fantastic. And also I'm going to, you guys can hear part two on front office in our next podcast, but, um, before we let him go for this particular episode, you mentioned your series on persuasion. Would you mind giving that information in case they want to find, find that? Yeah, you know, our website is uh, guidethemtoyes.com, or you can always email me at chris, C-H-R-I-S, at drphelpshelps.com. Okay. Uh, we're going to set the 2022 course dates. I've got uh, an online one, an in-person one here in November next month coming up, but I haven't set 22 yet, but uh, just email me if you're interested. We'll okay, get you information. that's great. Well, super great. Well, this has been Growth in Dentistry, a dental intelligence podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Phelps, Christopher Phelps. You can find him again at what we, what the mentioned links that he just said. And we'll put those in our show notes and on our webpage at dentalintel.com. Thank you to Curtis Marshall for coming today and for our marketing department for all your work on this podcast. I'm Katie Polson. Keep growing.